What does it mean when the legal medicinal use of cannabis is exploding, yet nursing education lags far behind in terms of educating nursing students about this brave new world? Let's talk all about it right here on episode 333 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is all about you, your personal and professional development, your nursing career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews like the one you're about to hear with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, education, nursing, entrepreneurship, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being a part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And here's a very, 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 very special request. If you find value in this podcast, please consider becoming a valued patron at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. Creating over 333 episodes incurs many costs and will continue to, and your support means a lot. So right now in 2021, I'm asking 100 regular listeners to contribute $2 a month for a year. That's less than buying me a cup of coffee every month. And you'll make sure to get no caffeine, no sugar, empty calories, just a lot more audio awesomeness. So head over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith and consider pledging $2 a month for a year. That would be awesome. And remember that Nurse Keith Coaching is your destination for all things related to your nursing career. I've completed hundreds, almost actually 2,000 expert holistic coaching sessions for nurses around the country and the world. And if you'd like to explore what career coaching can offer you, email me at keith at nursekeith.com to schedule a chat. And if you mention the show, you get 10% off your first coaching package. And if you mention this episode and Barbara Ochester, I will give you 15% off your coaching package. Anyway, we are joined here by friend of the pod and my new friend, Barbara Ochester, who's been a nurse for 48 years, and we have a lot to talk about. And Barbara, we're going to dive right into the deep end, okay? Sure. All right. So you're writing a dissertation, and the dissertation has to do with employability and cannabis. Correct. So in a nutshell... Could you put those two pieces together for us, employability and cannabis? Certainly, Keith. Um, I am focusing on employability and cannabis because, unfortunately, even though very responsible adults will go through all the legal steps to get a medical cannabis card, they are not protected when they decide to go get a job or when they are trying to maintain their job if they should be drug tested. And unlike a prescription for Percocet, where you can just simply show the prescription, a medical cannabis card um, is not a protection for them. And that's pretty much across the board, although there are some notable exceptions now um, to places where you can be hired with um, a positive drug screen. But generally, you can't be and you're not protected. And I don't believe nurses get this or, or individuals get this information when they go to have a certification exam. I think you're entirely right. I actually know a physician assistant, an old friend who lost a job here in New Mexico. She was a uh, army veteran with PTSD from the battlefield. 
and she lost her job as a PA because of a positive drug test, but she had a medical cannabis card for use with for PTSD from serving our country. So nurses serve our country in many ways, right? And Correct. there's a lot of trauma being experienced by nurses from the pandemic, et cetera. So for you, from the perspective of your dissertation and everything you know, and we'll talk a lot more about all the different issues here, but what does it mean for nurses when they can't use this medicine that is legal in so many places now, when they're people who also have post-traumatic stress and need to be able to alleviate it? What are the ramifications? Well, I think you're really right on point. And particularly after this year, um, I am either fortunate or unfortunate that I am old enough that I did not practice by the bedside during this year. And I know many, many who have. Um, I'm also a professor of nursing. So my students practiced and they, they are traumatized. They're traumatized because they've seen so much death. They're traumatized because they've been so overcrowded and overworked. And I think that they've really held up quite well. And yet, in order to treat their medicine or their their disease, they want to um, be forced into having traditional meds. And it's not that they're bad, but sometimes they just don't uh, do what we want them to. And they have some repercussions and some side effects that we just don't want um, to have to experience. Um, and I think PTSD is one of those disease processes that when I see patients and a lot of them are nurses, I make a point of letting them know that they might put their job in jeopardy. But I also understand that if we don't treat them with cannabis and get them to sleep with a, a, a non-allopathic medicine, mm-hmm. uh, there may be side effects. There may be you know, feelings in the morning of not feeling clear and and refreshed. They may have trouble sleeping with them. And generally with cannabis, I can get people asleep for the night. And particularly with my PTSD patients, I really want that to happen. And I require them or really urge them to make sure they have either a good support group or a therapist that they can go to in the daytime once they're really refreshed and have had some sleep. Wow. So you're coming from a place of very intensive study, research, education, and experience. So like I mentioned at the top, you've been a nurse for 48 years. You have a MSN. You teach the endocannabinoid system and pharmacology, community health, nursing leadership, and health assessment at the university level. And you're the clinical director of RevCanna MD, a medical cannabis dispenser in Abingdon, Maryland. So you're coming from a place where you, you see this firsthand. You're not just someone who has an opinion. You have a professional opinion based on research and all the data and experience that you have under your belt. So when we look at this employability issue, how do you feel like it could eventually be resolved? And is it going to be state by state? Is it going to be federal? How are we going to make sure nurses can get the treatment they need when they need it? Um, I, you're you're right. I think that it's a complex issue. I do um, see patients uh, uh, weekly, and I am physically in the dispensary for a good bit of the time. And I think that we are making progress, Keith. I really do. Um, it is my feeling and a number of my professional colleagues' feeling that we may be moving forward in terms of the legal 
aspects of cannabis and that we might eventually get uh, it legalized federally. Mm -hmm. I was surprised and shocked last week to read a statement by Clarence Thomas, of all people, that he really didn't think there needed to be federal prohibition anymore. Oh, my gosh. And that stunned me. Yes, Clarence Thomas. I was stunned. Um, And, you know, certainly Cory Booker and um, Mr. Schumer uh, have put a bill forth. They are really seeking to stop the prohibition. And in that case, I think we may make some progress, but I think it's going to take that step first. And the reason for that is that the applications for employment and the way it's set up now, we have some employment protection laws. However, the Job offers often are made and then they are reneged yes. as soon as the drug screens come back. Yes, that's right. And so people are terrifically disappointed, really just horrendously um, in a state because they can't support themselves doing something that they're educated for or that they have the skill set for. You know, can they get a job? They can get a job, but it's not something that they've trained for, they've lived for, they want to do. And often that makes it so very difficult, not only on them, but on their families. And then, of course, on the other side, it disallows people from pursuing a medicine that is um, all in all fairly low risk profile. You know, there are some people that can't use it, but in general, it's, it's just very low risk profile. And unlike our opioids, particularly if we look at pain and PTSD, all of our opioids and our sleep medicines and all of those become an addiction and they um, have untenable side effects. And eventually people say, either it's not going to work for me anymore, which it won't um, in terms of a traditional opioid, for instance, that's not for chronic pain. It's for acute pain. And, you know, once they've used it for a while, it stops working. And then it comes along with the horrible side effects that it can cause. Um, And I think an example of this is certainly if you have a company put out an opioid constipation drug to correct the problem that they are causing with their other opioids, then I think that we really need to look at, is this the correct way to go about treating people? Um, with a safe and sort of responsible medicine. Well said. And, <laughs> oh boy. Okay. I'm going to rewind <laughs> to what you first said about Clarence Thomas, Cory Booker, and Chuck Schumer uh-huh. being somewhat on the same page. And my first comment, or only comment about that at the moment in terms of the politics of cannabis is that cannabis is making strange bedfellows. Let's just say that. It is, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> now, moving forward to what everything that you just shared that I want to try to unpack is that first, a nurse can easily go out and get a prescription for, let's say, some benzos, right? Because of his or her anxiety or post-traumatic stress. And we all know what can happen when you're taking benzos chronically, just like when you're taking narcotics chronically. That nurse could also choose to drink herself or himself to sleep every night. And that would have no ramifications unless they happen to come into work still under the influence or et cetera, right? Absolutely. And you can have, (laughs) it's just, it doesn't make sense anymore in the 21st century. And I think that's why you're writing your dissertation. Mm -hmm. And that's why you want nurses to become educated. and. 
other than legislation, and we have to leave that to the legislators at this point, and we can advocate and go talk to them and write letters, what else can nurses do who want to get involved and who want to really be a voice of reason in this particular wilderness, let's call it that. Okay. Okay. Um, One of the things I would love to see nurses and particularly nursing students do is be very vocal about their need to have this education because we've got, you know, there are a number of numbers out there, but around 30% of the people in the United States in fact, have used cannabis or are pursuing cannabis at this point. The largest segment of the population is my segment, the senior citizens Mm -hmm. in the world. And um, they are the individuals in particular that have experienced these other medications that are leaving them without feeling their very best. And so what I'd like to see nursing students do and deans of nursing schools understand that this information is really mandated for them to know and to be very vocal about their need to know so they can take care of their patients. And, you know, so we have to be vocal. Nurses in a professional organization like ACNA, where I was, I just stepped down from the board in December. ACNA, the American Cannabis Nurses Association? Cannabis Nurses Association, yes. And I was on the board for the four years. I learned a tremendous amount. I got to work alongside side people like Carrie Clark and Eloise Thiessen, and really am very um, privileged to have done that. And what I'm, what I want is for us all to be vocal, for us to contradict people when they're giving incorrect information, for us to make sure that people know that they might be jeopardizing the possibility of employment if they begin to use this medicine, as long as that is still the case. Um, I want I want people to raise their voices because this is important. This is a medicine. And I actually never in my 48 years have I ever thought it was anything else. Um, I went to school in the 60s. I'll share that with you. Certainly, I did a little tiny bit of experimentation, but my dad was a colonel in the Air Force and I really sort of paid attention to my grades. So um, I didn't do a lot. But um, this is a medicine and I don't think there is ever anybody who doesn't use it as a medicine. They may call it recreational, but in fact, I believe that um, they use it because it it allows them either to do things or to feel better about doing things that they haven't been able to do without the medicine. Mm. Okay. So you said something there a couple minutes ago that I'd like to zero in on. You said that there's, it's mandated to educate about the uses of can the medicinal uses of cannabis. It is. Could you tell us what that means and where that mandate comes from, and is it being uh, adhered to? Absolutely, and that's that's a long answer. So let's start. It is mandated by the National Council of State Boards of Nursing, which, as I understand it, is the regulatory body for all of the other state boards of nursing. And um, they actually did a two year long study, um, you know, gathered every piece of literature they could. A woman named Kathleen Russell was actually the lead on this. And they came up with some mandates for what you need to know. And every nurse needs to know before they graduate from school. And I, I can go over those in a minute. But what's happening is because it's a schedule one drug, because it's federally uh, prohibited, 
when you approach nursing schools about integrating that into their coursework, they say, oh, no, 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 I'll lose my federal funding. Now, mm. if we think about that logically, the other drugs that are up there in that category are heroin, PCP, crack, um, any, you know, any number, along with cannabis, which is the only plant. But, you know, all of those medicines are, in fact, medicines that probably have no medicinal value if we just generalize. However, mm -hmm. um, nobody ever prohibits anybody about talking about the harm reduction that's associated with heroin or PCP or crack. But then when you approach them about talking to cannabis or about cannabis, they will say, oh, no, I'll lose my funding. Well, there is no way that anybody will lose funding for talking and teaching about cannabis and carrying out the mandates that the uh, NCSBN has has written. What happens is when I approach deans of nursing, they're frightened. They just really think and they misunderstand. And when I say, but do you teach about drug addiction and heroin and PCP and such? And they'll go, oh, yeah, we teach about that. But they won't teach about cannabis, which is the only um, medicine up there or the only drug up there that has any value. And that actually is legalized in many states for medicinal exactly. use. And exactly. here, here's a question. If the National Council of State Boards of Nursing has mandated that nursing schools educate students about cannabis, but many are not doing so because they're afraid of losing their funding. Mm -hmm. How does that relate to the NCLEX? Um, it absolutely relates to the NCLEX. And the NCSBN is the group that actually solicits for people to write questions and they review them and they put them on the NCLEX exam. And nursing schools are in turn responsible for preparing their students to take the NCLEX exam and answer questions correctly. And they teach that and they also teach how to approach the questions. Well, if in fact the NCSBN has mandated that people learn about cannabis or nurses learn about cannabis and include questions. And I heard this year, um, not, not a totally reliable source, but somebody who took the test said she had three questions on cannabis on her wow. NCLEX. That's a lot. Of and was questions. it covered in school? Was it the, covered in her program? In her program, it was not. See? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, so that says to me, and having been a member of a faculty in a couple of nursing schools, one of the things that happens, you know, it's all about how many of your students pass the exam. That's like the, the huge focus. And they take preparatory exams and they take um, classes that are just about taking this test. And it's important to them that they have a really good score for their student mm -hmm. taking this exam. And yet they don't prepare them for it. And that just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. It makes absolutely no sense. It's not, it's, it is completely nonsensical. Yeah. And then the, the final part of that is as a professional nurse, as long as I've been one, we have a responsibility to our patients. And if I have any subject that I don't know about, I need to do the research and find out what the answer is for a patient. And we've got this entire large, very complicated system in our body. And the use of cannabis is um, complicated. It needs to be done correctly. And we don't teach anybody about that and how to guide their patients or how to get them to the right people to guide their patients. So I think it's really mm -hmm. irresponsible on the part of nursing schools not to do that. Yeah. Now, um, nurses are highly trusted, right? The most trusted. We know that from the Gallup yep. poll, right? Yeah. So 
it goes to figure that if we're the most trusted professionals, especially in the healthcare realm, and patients and non-patients come to us with questions about health and medicine, correct? Mm -hmm. Then doesn't it figure that we are all going to get questions from colleagues, friends, family members, neighbors, community members, like, what should I do about using cannabis for my pain or for my PTSD? And we need to be educated to do that because since we're so trusted, those questions are coming, aren't they? They are. And it's it's a shame. And I think it's unprofessional. And, mm-hmm. and, and the irresponsibility, as I mentioned before, and I think it's puts nurses in a very difficult position. And I'm not saying that nobody knows about cannabis or they don't use cannabis um, and maybe have learned there how they've, um, um, you know, what they know about cannabis, but it's not the true information about cannabis. And we know that this system called the endocannabinoid system that has resided in our body for forever was discovered in the late 1990s, is a really complex system that responds to symptoms that um, come to a a patient or come to a person. And it needs to be supplemented sometimes. And I've started using the word supplementation recently because it we are not doing anything new for the body. We're simply adding more if our system gets depleted. And I think that whole system needs to be understood so we can counsel people, so we can direct them to where they can get legal cannabis, so we can dissuade them from getting things on. I have three markets that I call either the black market or the gray market. The black market, we we all know is that person who is not bona fide in any way to provide cannabis, but does. And then gray market, I call the Royal Farms and the Wawa's and the 7-Elevens and the gas stations and uh-huh. even the vitamin shops, because those people are not required to um, test. And uh-huh. so we may know what's in it, but we might not know what's in a product that's bought there. Uh-huh. To my knowledge, the only place, and there are a couple of websites that I have vetted thoroughly, and I always suggest to my patients if they need something that we can't get in the Maryland dispensary, because you know that we can only provide the medicine that is grown and produced in each state. They can't go across uh-huh. state lines. And hopefully, if our prohibition is lifted, that will change because there are wonderful products in New Mexico, perhaps, that I don't have in Maryland or I don't right. have in Pennsylvania. So that would be a really good part of the, the lifting the prohibition. But it, it's difficult to get people to the right place when we can't teach them about it, where we can't get that education to them before they get out of nursing school so they can address their patients in a very um, truthful, um, accurate manner. And that's what's not being done. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there, there are so many things to discuss here. And when we come back from a quick break, I want to talk about your dissertation because that's an ongoing process that you're involved in and the <laughs> okay. research you do, uh-huh. as well as your book that came out in January of 2021. Okay. So I'd like to come back and dig deeper into this work that you've done okay. and then we'll wrap up and see what else people need to know about medical cannabis and 
how nurses can be more educated about it. So please stick with us for the second half of episode 333 of the Nurse Keith Show. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit, so you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now, Let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. Remember, the show notes will be located at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 333. We're here again with friend of the pod, Barbara Ochester. And Barbara, prior to the break, we were discussing all sorts of aspects of medical cannabis in the industry in relation to healthcare and nursing. And we talked about the strange bedfellows of Clarence Thomas and Chuck Schumer and Cory Booker (laughs) when it comes to legislation. (laughs) And we're really, I'm, I'm just, I have to say I'm personally shocked that the National Council on State Boards of Nursing has mandated education in nursing schools about cannabis, but nursing schools are so nervous that they're often, it sounds like, not doing it. And this is doing a disservice to everyone, nurses and the public combined. So let's talk a little bit about your dissertation on cannabis and employability. You're pursuing a doctorate in health administration and leadership mm-hmm. with a focus on cannabis research. So what what do you hope to accomplish with your dissertation? What could be the reverberations of that document? Well, I really want to be alive and kicking when it's over. That's the first well, that would thing. be nice. Okay. Good start. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, and I think like any dissertation student or doctoral student, I have my moments where I think, oh man, let's just not finish this. And then I think about the responsibility that I have um, to the profession and to the public who needs this medicine. And so I sort of get myself back on track. What I've done is really looked at um, two aspects of employability, and one is um, sort of a pre-job application, and that's when people get certified for a medical cannabis card, and they're on that side of the fence where they go through the process, they go to a certifier, and I'm really saddened to say that there are many certifiers that 
spend 10 minutes with people, charge them a fair amount of money and don't tell them that, you know, these are the unintended consequences that you might run into. And the unintended consequences, that's actually the name of my dissertation, Unintended Consequences of Legal Cannabis Use. So those people, what I'd like to accomplish is really to help certifiers understand there's a bare minimum of knowledge that they need to give their patients when they come to them to be certified. And, you know, it, it's a handful of, of uh, pieces of information that would really make their life different and might cause them not to get certified and not to use the medicine, depending on how strict their current employment is or if they're going to pursue something else during their travel along their career. So that's that's one thing I'd really like to accomplish. Bring this to light, identify it as a knowledge gap, and see if there are some changes to be made. Now, obviously, um, I'm as I mentioned earlier, quite the senior citizen, and I'm probably not going to build too much on this dissertation after I'm done. I will do some things and I'll do some more writing, but I'd really like to establish a baseline that people can pick up and build off of, which is what we write doctorates for. The second thing, and there's sort of a a little third thing that I'll talk to you, is um, I want people to understand that even though they say they have employment protection laws, they aren't always what they are cracked up to be, if I can use that expression. And that, um, in that sense, there are ways that human resource departments can get around some of the employment protection laws. And one of those is you just tell them that you're not hiring them for another reason. Of course, and right. That, yeah, and that's, that's horrible. But there's also a human resource aspect and perception from this. And I had the opportunity to speak to somebody who was a policymaker for a big organization, and they are also frustrated, uh, A, because they aren't given the go-ahead to get the information, and B, because they, in fact, um, can go through the entire process, identify the best candidate in the world. They can say, "You, you know what, Keith, you are the person we need in this company. And then if you should urine drug screen, they offer you the job. If you should urine drug screen positive, their organization won't let them hire. So it's horrendously expensive, a really bad situation between just sort of people to people interaction. And they end up without the employee that they should have. And so those are the kinds of things I really want to bring to light. Now, there is a way to use some of the employee protection laws. And you can do that by going through the Americans with Disabilities Act, because there is in fact a phrase in there that says, even drugs that are not considered legal may be used if there's no alternative. And there are a couple of cases on record that actually this is the route they have gone. And most of them do not win, but some of them have won. And, um, but that is an arduous and a very lengthy process. So, What I want to do is bring this to light and let people know, especially if we get this federal um, lift of the prohibition, that this is our time to establish some more reasonable guidelines for hiring people. And I am the first person to say, and I'm an extremely conservative clinician, which sort of is incongruous for what I study, but there is no, no patient that ever needs to be doing a safety sensitive job stoned. Mm-hmm. There, there just isn't. We have to be careful about that. But the difference between all those other drugs up in that category is that anywhere from 24 hours to five days, all of those drugs are out of people's systems, except 
for cannabis. Right. And I could go in to get a job. You could go in to get a job. Having used cannabis 30 days ago and potentially still have it in your system. It depends on your body build, how many fat cells you have, that sort of thing. So you could be harboring that cannabis for a really long time. You're not stoned when you go to work. Mm -hmm. You're not unable to do your job. You're not safety, um, a safety hazard, none of those. And yet you still can't go to the job. And that is um, something that is painful to me. it's painful to you because you're passionate about it and you're knowledgeable about it and you realize what the ramifications are that the employer is losing a potentially amazing um George the cat is here and he's like he's in the microphone he's on my he's on my keyboard I, I have two puppies here that are sitting and looking at me like yeah. who are George, you talking to okay George really wants to get down on this conversation but you have You have employers who are missing out on great candidates. You have candidates missing out on getting a job they're highly qualified for. Then you have the patients who aren't being able to interact with that particular job candidate because they don't get hired. And then the the repercussions go on and on. That job candidate's family is impacted, right? Because they can't earn the living doing the work that they're meant to do and trained to do and, and have shed blood, sweat, and tears to get. So mm-hmm. you're you're adding to the body of literature. That's you were saying basically that's what dissertations are about. You're adding to the body of literature and you also added a book to the body of literature. It was published by Walters Kluwer, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, I think that's the way you say yeah, it. In yeah, January 2021, and it's called Cannabis, a Handbook for Nurses. What was the impetus to write a book separately from the dissertation? And are they, are they mutually exclusive or are they, do they each involve aspects of the other? Um, I think they, they can be used hand in hand, but I think that they're mostly mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that I contributed to this book. I wasn't on my own. Um, Carrie Clark, who, is that other person besides Eloise that is so well written and so well studied. And even though she's way younger than me, mm-hmm. quite the mentor, um, it, you know, gave me this opportunity. And that, um, that book was written with the intention of nurses using it as a textbook. It is a textbook. Um, I do teach at Pacific College of Health and Sciences, Mm -hmm. and I teach the endocannabinoid system and pharmacology, and we use that book. Just got it integrated into the um, coursework this year, obviously, because it just got published. And this this is the first and the most comprehensive. And, you know, I'm very biased, but I think by far the best written textbook for nurses, and it covers those things that they really need to know. I have no doubt. um, I have no doubt. It's very, yeah. And I'm I'm sure it's extremely erudite and very well-researched and very well-written if you're involved in it. And Mm -hmm. yeah, you've mentioned Eloise Thiessen. She's been on the show before and her organization is called? The American Cannabis Nurses Association. That's right, the ACNA. Yeah. And then she also is a uh, content provider at Radical Health. That's right. Um, which is some of the best content I've ever seen. Um, and she is now working at, at Pacific. Um, actually, she came first and I, I work with her and just have utmost respect. 
Oh, wonderful. Yeah, we dug pretty deep into Radical Health and what they're doing when mm-hmm. she was on the show. And I'll try to remember to put a link in the show notes if I can remember. That would be nice. Yeah. Yep. So Barbara, with the book, with the dissertation, there's a lot of research ongoing and there's other people I'm sure writing books and writing dissertations too. So what does the research look like when it comes to, let's focus in on nursing education and the employability issues. Are there a lot of people out there digging into this particular topic? Do you feel like you're not a lone voice in the wilderness right now? Um, Yes and no is the answer to that question. In terms of the education, I actually um, go right by the guidelines and they are just very briefly that, you know, this this group is mandating that everybody have a working knowledge of the current state laws, the current federal laws, that everybody understand what kind of medical marijuana program and they call it marijuana, which is the only reason I'm using that word. Um, In my own dispensary, we have a swear jar. And if you use the M word, you have to put a dollar. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, um, because it's not. And the whole um, background, and we could talk about this for another hour, the whole historical background of cannabis is so racist and so derogatory and so unbelievably difficult to understand how particularly one man could have turned this into this um, demon drug Um you know, with reefer madness and this is what people act like on cannabis. So it that's so complicated. And I do touch on it, but people need to know the history and know why we use the word cannabis and not the M word. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, how do we use, how do we use cannabis for medical purposes? You know, what what does it treat and and why can it treat so many things? And then that understanding of the endocannabinoid system and the receptors and how they interact and the pharmacology behind it and the research. And I'll land there because that's what you had asked about. In fact, there's quite the paucity of literature, you know, as a student, as somebody who just did my literature review just in the last few Mm -hmm. weeks, part of that's good because I didn't have very much to take from okay. and um, you know, but I could still, you know, get the content. There are some people doing studies. I, I am doing a qualitative study and there was um, a couple of people and I had this very generous woman who did a dissertation at Widener on um, sexual behavior under the influence. Hmm. And um, I, you know, I live right here. I called somebody I knew at Widener and she agreed to talk to me and she was incredibly helpful. So I think that we provide that for each other. Um, There is not very much unemployability in cannabis together. And although we've begun to see a lot more research about cannabis in general, and that is because we have finally opened up and made um, different universities sites for cannabis research because, you know, previously all of the cannabis that was ever used in a study had to be provided by the University of Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And um, from what we understand, from what's been written, not the very best quality or consistency. Mm. And so we've, we've provided this research, but, you know, what kind of cannabis did we have? And um, can we improve that now that we've been able to utilize uh, different 
uh, growers, as as I would say, you know, growers that can provide some cannabis for some of these research institutes. So what do you think is going to happen in the very near future? What I, I'm not asking you for predictions. Let's say, mm-hmm. rather than you trying to predict what's going to happen, let's focus more on your vision. What would you like to see happen, let's say, in the next four to five years? What would the best case scenario be for all of the above that we've been talking about as we wind down here? Um, you know, obviously, we want the prohibition lifted because it's it's so nonsensical that that is the very best possible scenario. And I think that's going to happen sooner rather than later. Okay. And as I said, some of my professional colleagues agree with that. So that would be the biggest thing. But I am very interested in people understanding that this is not a demon drug, that this is not something that is going to make you act and do things that you are unaccountable for or you or you can't take responsibility for because they're so horrible. It just doesn't do that. And to understand that, you know, although we talk about CBD and THC all the time, because those are the two cannabinoids that are the best known, there are 111. And the very vast majority do not make you euphoric or intoxicated. Mm-hmm. THC is the culprit there if people are upset about that. But um, if you take enough CBD with it, or at least a equal amount of CBD with it, it mitigates the euphoric effects. Mm-hmm. So this is not, I guess the thing that I really want people to know is this is not about getting stoned. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants anybody to get stoned. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's a personal choice, then go for it. But you know, it's not about getting stones. It's about getting better. Mm-hmm. It's about treating yourself with a low risk medicine that cannot hurt you because there are no cannabinoid receptors in the brainstem. So, and, you know, there are tons of narcotic and opioid receptors. There certainly are. So it can't, it can't hurt you. That's why you've never heard of a death attributed to it. And you can pursue your life with a, um, with, Without pain, without anxiety, mm-hmm. um, and just a side note on anxiety, Keith, the anxiety that has been experienced this year, the number of people that come in and say, I am so anxious, what can you do for me? Even though it was a high, um, it was high on my list of common uh, symptoms or diagnoses, it is now over the moon with the amount of anxiety between the, the, the election was a big time. The um, insurrection was a big mm-hmm. time. The pandemic, you put all of those together and then you take the stress of all these nurses that are out there saving people's lives while they lose their own family and friends. Mm-hmm. It was just, a, just too much to be coped with. And I had just a tremendous number of patients that are really looking to treat anxiety. Yes. Um, and so that that's something. And I guess the other thing that I really want to see happen is insurance needs to cover this. Oh, medicine. I'm glad you went there. So we have yep. we have the lifting of the federal prohibition, which could lead to all the things you're talking about. Right. People having the medicine they mm-hmm. need to treat themselves, et cetera. And then we look at insurance companies. I mean, not that many episodes ago, I had Andrew Penn a psychiatric clinical nurse practitioner on the show from the Bay Area. Uh-huh. And we were talking about how the FDA is poised to approve psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy in the next year to year and a half for MDMA and depression for both. Uh, I mean, MDMA, which is ecstasy, and um, 
psilocybin for the treatment of post-traumatic stress and depression. So that's mm-hmm. happening. I can only imagine that when when there's money involved, <laughs> people want to mm-hmm. get involved, right? That's where mm-hmm. we can hook in the insurance companies and everyone else Agreed. who wants to get a hand in this particular pot. If, well, no pun intended. So <laughs> if we can pull this off, what is the what is your vision for what could happen, let's say, 10 to 20 years from now? If we blow this vision up even bigger, what could you in, what could you see happening in terms of the ability of people to treat themselves and for medical professionals to treat their patients? Um, I, I think incredibly great things can happen, but I also think we're going to have the battle of our lives, yes. and that's with pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. um, because people will realize that they can get the same relief with fewer side effects. And so that it's going to be a huge battle. But what I'd like to see in 20 years is that pharmaceutical companies and cannabis companies and cultivators, and I can't, you know, they're not clean either. The cannabis companies, they, um, there are many people who don't think there's medicinal value that are in the field that don't think that you need some sort of direction when you're coming in for a medicine, um, that you don't need any guidance, that you can just come in and pick and choose. And of course they want that because that's sales for them. You know, where I prefer to believe that we will establish a um, stream of revenue, that people know what they want, that they are able to come in and really converse with the people behind the counter. I also am a little bit radical in the sense that the names of these products make me crazy (laughs) and want to shoot myself. Mm -hmm. There is no reason to have names like this because what happens is people get really married to these strains and they come in and if we've run out of a strain or if the harvest is over Mm -hmm. and they haven't recultivated and brought it back, then people are lost. And so what I love people to know, how much CBD do I need? How much CBN do I need? Mm -hmm. How much THC do I need? And what percentages? And then, of course, there are the terpenes, which is the third part of this plant that really potentiate the cannabinoids. So uh, I want people to know what their cannabis profile is and to have insurance that covers it. That's what I'd like to see in 20 years and for us to exist next to a pharmaceutical company in sort of collaboration rather than in confrontation. Well, that's a great vision. And if we can educate nursing students and nurses and healthcare professionals, that's a humongous step. And then we can educate, obviously, along the way, legislators and the FDA and all the other people who need to be involved in this particular field. And then we can educate the public. And this medicine Mm -hmm. can be used in a widespread way that is along the lines of what you're talking about. And I think that's a beautiful vision for 10 to 20 years from now. And it, it does seem, I'm sure, very possible to you. There's a great deal of potential. And like you said, you might have the fight. We might have the fight of our lives when it comes to the, the bigger pharmaceutical companies. So there's a lot to, even more to talk about. Unfortunately, we need to, we need to close now. So what would be your final message to nurses and or nursing students listening right now, what should they really be asking for? If you could succinctly tell us a direction and a kind of marching orders for the nurses out there. 
Um, for sure. Number one is nursing students should know that they are going to get questions about this plan okay. and how to use it with their patients. Okay. So that's number one. And they need to speak up. They need to go to their um, curriculum people, their professors, whoever is teaching them and say, I need to know this. Mm -hmm. I need to know this. It's on my NCLEX. And, um, and, and the rest of us need to speak up and, you know, talk about it as much as you can in order to break the stigma. But, but by all means, make sure you have accurate information first. So asking for what you need, and we can really start with the nursing students, because if we get the pressure on the schools, Absolutely. then that begins that this process. And if the question's around the NCLEX, we really need to speak to it. So I, I really yes. appreciate you being here and bringing these issues to light that we haven't talked about on the show. We've talked about CBD on the show. We've had Eloise Thiessen here to talk about medical cannabis, but we really needed to talk about this issue in terms of education. And I really appreciate you being here. And I would love for people to go to the show notes at episode 333 and purchase copies of your book. And I hope that nursing students and deans and nursing professors listening will also follow suit. So Barbara, thank you so much for your expertise and for gracing the airwaves and for putting out some very important information in the world. I really greatly appreciate it. Thank you. I, I enjoyed myself immensely. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Remember the show notes where you can learn all about Barbara Ochester and her work will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode 333. We will have a link in the show notes to the book, Cannabis, A Handbook for Nurses, edited by Carrie Clark with contributors like Barbara Ochester. There'll be a link to Amazon and also the Walters Kluwer website. Please consider encouraging your nursing school to pick up this textbook for your nursing education curriculum. And if you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your career, look no further than nursekeith.com. And remember, you get a 10% discount for mentioning the show and a 15% discount if you mention Barbara Ochester. Please consider becoming a patron of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. The Nurse Keith Show is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com, one of the largest and fastest growing collections of authoritative, high quality podcasts of, in healthcare and medicine in the world. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. And Mark Cappy Spiesen is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And friend of the pod, Barbara Ochester, bidding you adieu from? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Philadelphia, my old hometown. Thank you, Barbara. Thanks for everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the flip side. <laughs>